0: I began my study for today's sermon, and as I go along, you guys are going to be familiar with what I am going to preach on today, many of you, because I've actually preached it before. I realized a few days ago, um, because we list all of our sermons we keep here, and I looked, and I'm at 350 sermons since I came to Christian Center Church. Hundreds before that, but I'm roughly, give or take, probably just a couple of sermons. 350 sermons. That's a lot of sermons. But I began my study this week with a question that led me back to something, and I really think that this is there's two, two things that I will consistently preach in a way that is different, but yet it's the same theme. Why is that? Because I want the culture of Christian Center Church to be two very important, three important things, I believe, very, three very important things. I want us to understand that God did not save us in order that we would be blessed, but he saved us to be a blessing. In other words, there's only two types of people in God's church. There's need-oriented people. In other words, give me, give me, give me. What can I get out of this? And there's seed-oriented people. What can I give into the kingdom of God? And secondly, I want us to have the culture that we are not looking for a throne, but we are looking for us to be servants that Jesus called us to be. I want Christian Center Church to be the most servant-hearted church. Why do I say that? Because I really think that when... Go ahead and turn to John 13, by the way. I really believe with all of my heart that Jesus called some of the most diverse... Everybody say diverse. When you see the calling of his disciples, you see a diversity that is just absolutely amazing. I mean, some were quiet. Some were very boisterous and outgoing. Some were brothers. That's a problem all in itself. You can't even get your kids to sit and have a bowl of cereal sometimes, (laughs) much less walk together in agreement for three years. And the thing that strikes me about the people that Jesus chose, the first thing that kind of comes to mind is simply this. Jesus could have done this all by himself. He could have done what he did, by himself, but he chose to do it in relationship with twelve people that he called in order to walk with him and think about this for just a minute. Think about it. He called these twelve people it says to be with him. He walks out his purpose and his plan and he, he sees heal they see healing, they see bread multiplied, they see all these wonderful miracles and God do all of these things. And they walked so closely with him. He could have done that by himself, but he chose some people to walk it with him. And think about this. 2,000 years later, we are still talking about these people. So my question started the other day with why is God calling us and who is God calling and if you answer those two questions this morning, as we'll see in John 13, when you answer those two questions, I think it will take us to a deeper level of God's purpose in our lives. And I'm sitting looking at a di- diverse group of people. We have uh, teenagers here because our youth is every other Sunday, all the way up to people that, you know, have retired and you've, you're enjoying the fruits of your retirement and, and whatnot. Can I just tell a, a group of people that are, that are kind of in the later, God's not done with you yet. I really feel that from the Holy Spirit right now in this moment. God still has a plan and a purpose and things He wants you to do. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I want to I want to roll into heaven sideways with my hair on fire, saying, "Woo, that was a wild ride, Lord." God took this old boy from Chillicothe, Ohio, just a little tiny town in southern Ohio, and uh, you know there's nothing special about me at all. But when I said yes to Jesus. Listen, the people who say Christianity is boring have never really tried true Christianity. There's a whole group of people in this world right now today that says there's nothing boring about Christianity. Christianity is something that when you commit to it and you really truly commit to following Jesus and listening to his path and what he wants you to do, what you become is somebody who can bring encouragement to everybody around you. That was really my heart over these last four days as I've just been studying and thinking and praying. Because when I look at the people that Jesus called, I first see diversity. Everybody say diversity. Diversity. Church, I don't want to attend a cookie-cutter church. I don't. Listen, if everybody looks the same and worships the same and, and talks the same and dresses the same, it makes me nervous. It does. And I want to encourage you, if you're visiting with us this morning... You can be diverse in your worship. I didn't say weird, I said diverse. (laughs) Listen to what your pastor's saying. We can be diverse. Here's the key to worship I've found. Very important, very important. It's not about how much, because there's some people in here who are very stoic. You're more reserved. God, the Holy Spirit will move on you. He wants to do that. There's some that are a little bit more outgoing. My point is the people that Jesus called, you see this reflected in their personalities. It didn't mean just because maybe some of the disciples were more quiet and reserved. Jesus loved them any less and poured any any less into them. Here's the key in worship, and I want you to get this. What God always wants you to do is to get out of your comfort zone. Because if you want to get into the worship zone, which leads to a glory zone, you have to first get out of your your comfort zone. Well, that's better than it sounded because I wouldn't even plan on saying that right there. That is. If you want to get into a, you, some of you are saying, "I see people getting touched by the Holy Spirit." Listen, God is not a respecter of persons. I tell you what, He is a respecter of of giving Him your whole heart, and whatever you're doing, and whatever you're you're actively engaged in, right in that moment. So, number one, as I look at the people that Jesus called, they were incredibly diverse, incredibly diverse. Are you in John 13? Good, because we probably won't get there for another 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth this morning. I'm like, wow, my scripture's way, way down there. But just bear with me today. The second thing that I see it, the people that Jesus called is this: Jesus saw potential in them that nobody else saw. Goodness, it's so important to remember that these were the these were the guys who flunked out of rabbi school. We forget that. They, in other words, these are the ones that weren't chosen to continue on through schooling. So if they didn't get chosen at a certain age, then they went and did what they were taught to do by their fathers, which in some cases were fishermen. Other cases were tax collectors. Other cases were a lot of diverse people. But God saw potential. Has anybody ever had a coach or a mentor just see something in you that nobody else saw? I thank God for people like that. Or the flip side of that is you may have had people of influence in your life, throughout your life, that didn't see the potential, amen? In other words, all they did was run you down. Can I tell you something important about God this morning? Not only was there a very diverse group of people, but Jesus saw potential that nobody else did. And when God sees potential and calls you, He's going to speak into that potential and create and cause you to be who He created you to be. God is an encourager. I'll say it over here. God is an encourager. That should excite you this morning because the Holy Spirit comes. It says he is the comforter. But in the, in the verbiage there, it could easily be, tr- be translated on several occasions, including the scripture I read just a little bit ago as we opened, where it said the God of all comfort is paracletus, which simply means that he is an encourager. Has God ever come along and just encouraged something in you that you didn't even see in yourself? What does that mean? That means that if God's going to encourage us, God wants us to encourage each other. We're here to worship God, number one. Number two, can I tell you the most important thing that the body of Christ comes together according to the word of God? He tells us not to forsake the assemblies of ourselves together so that we may spur each other on towards love and good works and encourage one another. He didn't just call a diverse group of people, but God saw potential in them that they didn't even see in ourselves. I do not want to go by way of the grave or Jesus returning and catching me up, and it sure seems like that may happen sooner rather than later. I don't want to go with leaving any potential that God sees in me or sees in this church or sees in you individually. I don't want to leave potential wasted. I want to reach the potential that God has for me. Amen? Amen? Yeah. You probably drove past a lot of potential as you came here because most of the potential is in graveyards. It is. My point is simply this. There is nothing worse than understanding that God is calling you but not understanding what he's calling you to do. In church, I came this morning just to give you something very simple, very simple, of something any single one of us can do. Here, here's, here's the first thing. We can be encouraging to one another. We can see the potential in one another. We can speak to that potential in one another. Jesus saw people and saw potential. Not only does God want us to be people of faith, I'll tell you some good news. God is a God of faith. He wants us to give him faith, but you know what? He has a lot of faith in looking at our life, believing that we can be the man or woman that he has intended us to be. I hope that encourages you this morning that God has faith in you. You say, no, 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 I don't believe that God could have faith in me, that God could see potential i 've learned something about life. If I never receive the the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and what god 's calling me to do, I will never walk in it. You need to see you need to see yourself how God sees you because God is truly a god there 's a power in encouragement. everybody say encouragement Amen. second Corinthians one verse three Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. You know how many troubles God comforts you in? All of your troubles? So that we can comfort those in any trouble, trouble with the comfort we, are, we ourselves receive from God. And to finish up my intro, these disciples Jesus called were all different. Some were quiet. Some liked to talk a lot. But the one thing after three years that we see, and this is so important... After three years, we truly see that even with the diverse potential, diverse uh, uh, the diversity of the whole group, this is what they decided, and this is so important: is that they made a decision today as modern disciples, and the call still going out from Jesus Christ. They made a decision when Jesus said, "Come and follow me." They went and followed him. You may say today, "Well, of course they followed him. Of course they did." They saw Jesus do miracles, they saw Jesus' wisdom, but that wasn't always the case. In John chapter 6, Jesus had been teaching, and he laid it out very plainly. This is what following me looks like. And it says in there that many left him at that time, because they said, as a matter of fact, everybody left except the disciples that were right there had committed to following him, because he laid out what does it really mean to follow him, And he's there with the disciples, and he says, do you want to leave me also? And I love what Peter says. Listen, he says, Lord, we are not going to leave you. You have the words of life. We're not going to turn away from you. We're not going to... Quit following you. Can I tell you when things get tough in your Christian life, when things get a little hard to go forward, can I just remind you that we are not promised necessarily a throne in this lifetime? We are promised a cup that Jesus said, This cup you will drink. And things do get difficult at times and things do get hard to follow God and to follow his ways and to follow his teachings. But can I tell you something? When you make a good, firm commitment that no matter what comes, I am going to follow Jesus then when the, when the difficulty comes, you just keep following him, even if you don't understand what's going on in the moment. Jesus, as we get into our scripture this morning, he has been walking with his disciples for three years. And what was he doing? He's, he's literally telling them at times, hey, do this. <laughs> don't do that. Hey, your your attitude's wrong right now in this moment. I think of James and John who were offended at something that happened and they're like, you want us to call fire down on their head? And he's like, fire, really? Is that the revelation of God that I came to bring? Certainly not. And he went on and called them sons of thunder, but he was telling them things they should do and things that they shouldn't do. And he's leading them down a path where he is going to finally give them the most important principle in the kingdom It was a diverse group. They had talents. They had giftings. They had potential that Jesus saw, even though nobody else evidently saw it because this is what they were doing. They were just, listen, they were just normal, everyday people. You can't miss that. They didn't wake up in the morning and somebody had squeezed fresh orange juice. Somebody had brought the car around and, you know, driven them where they were going to go. They didn't get up in the morning and somebody benedicted their eggs or whatever that is that people do to eggs. They were just very normal, everyday people, which tells me that God isn't looking for the spectacular, talented, handsome, most eloquent. He's just looking for you to understand the principles of his kingdom And when you understand who God is calling and why God is calling you, you can make a difference in the world around us. There's no question in my mind. So my question was, what was Jesus trying to get across to them in his final moments? In in John 13, this is what is happening. It's the final moments of his life. So we all understand, as many of you being the, the age group that you are, you have been around the deathbed of loved ones, right? I've been around a lot as a pastor, not only with people in my family, but also just as a pastor, being around people who are getting ready to pass away. And it's amazing to me, a lot of the things that we worry about during life don't mean a hill of beans when you're on your deathbed. In other words, I've never had anybody say, bring me my checkbook, I want to rub that thing on my forehead one more time. Bring me my fishing pole. Bring me my fishing boat, I just want to touch it. I've never heard a sister in Christ say, Bring me my shoes, I just want to touch those shoes. (laughs) One last time. Why is that? Because none of that's important. Here's what I have found is people want to call loved ones, whether that be a friend from high school or family or people that they're in a relationship with, and they usually want to break it down and say a few things that they will carry with them the rest of of their lives. I spent a lot of time with my grandfather as he was passing away. I, I talk about him a lot because he discipled me. He was a pastor for 43 years and really poured a lot into me. And so I volunteered to stay the nights when he was in hospice care. I'd get up in the morning, go on to work, come back in the evening. And a lot of times I just slept there on the couch. So what was I doing? I knew he was getting towards the end of his life, and I wanted to know what some of the most important things were he had walked out in his life there at 71, 72 years old. I can't remember exactly which. I remember him telling me very plainly, he said, Jason, I'd have prayed a lot more. Now, this is a man who preached. I'm at probably 1,000, 1,200 sermons throughout my life, maybe something like that. Thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons that he preached. He didn't talk about his sermons. He talked about his relationship with me and my family and the fact that he was pouring. So my point is simply this. As we look in John 13, we understand that with somebody and Jesus knowing that he's going to be betrayed later on that night, he's going to be handed over to the authorities. He's going to, he's going to have to go by way of the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. When he's coming down to the end, the things that we see Jesus do and say, we have to put a great emphasis on it because he's basically telling these, these disciples that were present, I've spent three over three years with you. I've corrected you. I've told you, do this, don't do that. And I've worked a lot of things out of you, but there is something that is still in you that I need to deal with and work out because you just quite haven't grasped this element of my kingdom, of what my kingdom is all about. So before we get into John 13... We see that they're gathered together and Jesus walks in. I got some props for you today. Is that okay? What do y'all think of that right there? Check this out. <laughs> 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 Leah bought this for me. I'm like, it makes noise. She's like, yeah, you can give it to a kid afterwards. I said, no, I'm keeping this, keeping it in my office and just sitting. Look, Jesus Jesus walks into the upper room, right? You guys all know the story. And, again, I'm going to get to my scripture. And you, some of this is familiar to some of you, but I've really been challenged over this last four or five days as we see things transpire in our world, when we see things that we haven't seen in, in decades in and a whole other generation lived through a lot of really tough, terrible things. And I really believe, and as you guys know, I've taught through Revelation here about six months ago or so, and taught on some of the subjects of what the end times are going to look like and what is going to be going on in the world, can I tell you, the years ahead can be the church's finest hour. That is my belief. That is my hope. But if we don't grasp this one very simple principle, if we don't grasp this very one simple thing that Jesus, again, he's going to be crucified. He's going the way of the grave. He will obviously be 40 days after he, he comes back but as they walk into the room to have Passover everybody walks past the bowl and the towel everybody walks past the the bowl now what that meant was the very lowest of the servants would have been the one tasked with washing everybody else's feet and as they walk in the room you got Peter walks by and he maybe glanced at it and thought hmm Maybe I should be the one to wash everybody's feet. James and John walk by and they see it and they probably have the thought, perhaps, maybe I should go around. There's not a servant here. It's just us. But you know by the argument that ensued about who was greatest in the kingdom meant that they weren't thinking about a bowl and a towel. (laughs) They were thinking about a sword. They were thinking about thrones. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? I know that because the Scripture clearly says for James and John, the good little Jewish mother that she was comes to Jesus and she simply says, hey, Jesus, these are good Jewish boys. Look, they've they've been eating wheat and crickets and traveling and sleeping outside, and there's people that want to kill them. There's people that want to do them harm they've left everything to follow you and surely you can see fit to set them on a throne on your left hand and your right hand nobody was concerned about this right here they were concerned about what am i going to get out of it jesus what are you going to we know this because again they just began to argue and i'm the greatest i'm the greatest So we know the scripture. Look at John 13. You guys good? Verse 12. Just kind of go down there just a little bit. Even Peter, when Jesus comes and he's washing his feet, he says, no, Lord, no. And Jesus very plainly tells him, if you don't allow this, you have no part of me. What does that mean in a spiritual sense? Jesus desires to wash us clean. If, if Jesus does not wash you clean, you have no ability to stand in the presence of God because it's only his blood and his cleansing and his word that washes his bride. Yeah. This is a very important principle we're getting ready to look at today. You guys good? Yeah. Look at verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? That's a great question. That's a great question he's asking his disciples and we know that they didn't because of some of the things that were said and the arguments and even what happened right after they went out and went into the garden to pray. We understand that they did not understand what Jesus had done. In church, can I tell you, the church of this century I don't think really sees and knows what Jesus has done in serving them in that moment and humbling himself. This is God. This is the son of the maker of the universe. This is the one who is Lord of lords and king of kings. And he chose not to walk past the basin and the towel. He chose to pick it up and to selfishly serve someone else. He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash One another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Everybody say blessed. Blessed. I've been on a theme the last few weeks of of blessing and, and what that means and how do we stay under the blessing of God How do we align ourselves with the blessing of God? It's so important to understand that God desires to bless you, but you've got to put yourself in the position through spiritual principles in order for the blessing to come down upon your life. You have to put yourself in. What is one position that Jesus is laying out here for his church and his people? It's to be a servant. Everybody say servant. He's probably trying to get across to them the most important. Why do I say that? Because he's getting ready to be crucified. He's spent over three years with them. He's poured into them. He's corrected them. He's loved them. He's made sure that they're fed. They're made sure that they're taken care of. He's walked with them through this this training and this discipleship with the Son of God. And we also oftentimes think that God is looking, again, for the most handsome or the most talented. Can I tell you this morning, he is not. This isn't about what you can get out of it, but what you can give into it. Jesus is showing showing them this isn't about titles, church. It is about towels. We have a lot of self-appointed prophets and pastors and evangelists and, and everything else in the church today that think, if I can just become spiritual enough and stand up here, then everybody wanting them to do do you understand that that is not the way of the cross (laughs) Do you understand that is not the way of Jesus this is the way of Jesus so can I tell you if you happen by a church or a ministry that is about themselves run from it we at Christian Center Church listen if a church exists just for itself then it's not a church that should exist Jesus is laying out, why am I preaching this? Why is this so heavy on my heart? Let me just talk. Because I believe that the world that we're living in today, culturally, pop culture, the things that people believe that are lies and not truths of the word of God, we have a choice to make in the church. Whether we are going to be people of the sword or we're going to be people of the Tao. The people of the Tao understand that if we're going to reach a lost and dying world, we love to do evangelism with the sword, don't we? What's the evangelism of the sword? I'm right, and you're wrong. God, turn or burn, baby. Listen to me. That's evangelism of the sword. Do you know what's going to reach the world? Evangelism of the Tao. Because we're living in a culture that's been beat to death with religion. But I don't think they've seen this. I really don't. You say, Pastor, you don't stand for truth? I absolutely stand for truth. But I have never won somebody to Christ that I have not first encouraged and served and loved on. Never done it. I've never done it. I've been doing this for 24 years. And you're looking at somebody that's preached on street corners. You're looking at somebody that, during the very early part of the formation of my life, took evangelism explosion at the church I was at. I used to go out in teams with three other people, and we went all over our county knocking on doors. If people weren't home that we were visiting, we would just start knocking on doors of apartment buildings. And that has its place. Are you listening to me? But i got to tell you, in American culture, in the day we're living in today, not only do we get the sword out when it comes to evangelism, some of you got the sword out in your marriage. Bless God, I'm the man of the house. Wife, get in here and bring me that remote. It's only three feet away from me. Oh, i feel like I bring you your remote. <laughs> I don't mess with the raging Cajun, y'all. I don't do it. I do not. I don't. I do not arouse the Cajun in Leah. It ain't gonna happen. Some of you are destroying your marriage by the words that you're speaking, because instead of understanding the principle of the kingdom that Jesus laid out for us of being the servant of all. Husband, do you want to know how to fix your family this morning? Become the servant. Amen. And that doesn't mean you don't teach your kids responsibility. Right. doesn't mean that you don't teach them how to. My son has been working a lot. He has his first job. He's been averaging 20, 25 hours a week and going to school full time. He's taking, picking up extra shifts. I'm proud of him. But I'm showing him at, at home, he was running late the other morning and I said, Bud, you know, you kind of have to pick it up. But I knew he wouldn't have time to eat. I knew he was going to have a long day. He was going to leave at 7 o'clock in the morning and he probably wouldn't be home until probably 9, 30 or 10 that night at all. He goes straight to work. So I looked at him and I said, do you want me to fix you some breakfast? You see, as a father, it's, it's not about showing my kids what I can get out of my relationship with them. Listen to me. It's about showing them what I can do for them in yeah. service. You say, how do you know that they didn't get what Jesus was saying in the moment at the table when he showed them? He didn't just tell them, I want you to be servants. He was showing them. Don't worry, I'm not going to throw this at anybody. (laughs) I use my hands a lot. (laughs) Let me set that down. How do I know this? It's because right directly after that, they go to the garden, right? And listen to me. In the garden, Jesus is coming to be arrested. And Peter's like, "All right, it's go time." They were still looking at thrones and positions, and what they could get out of what Jesus, who Jesus was and what He was doing for them. And what does He come and do? His first instinct. Can I tell you what the church's first instinct is? Whenever we feel kind of attacked, this is in our family. This is in our every every walk of life. At work. Can I tell you what will flip the script and completely change the paradigm of what you're going through in any area of life? When you can learn to lay down the sword and learn to pick up a towel. Because Peter, I don't know how bad you need to be with a sword to completely, he wasn't aiming for the dude's ear. Let's just be real for a minute. There's no way that he was aiming for the guy's ear. George? George? me just try this out on you real quick <laughs> you should not sit up front because i'm always picking on you pulls out the sword and he's swinging and i don't know if the guy like did some kind of matrix thing like this i keep bringing up that movie and probably 90 percent of you have never seen it don't see it by the way i'm not i'm not promoting secular movies he comes and he swings it and he gets his ear i don't know how bad you have to be in order to do that but it tells me something important about peter's discipleship peter's understanding of what the kingdom really meant Can I tell you something? We all know this. I want to just clarify. There are absolutely times that God wants us to stand up. There are times that God is calling us to stand for what's right. But if all we do is constantly stand for what's right and we're just constantly swinging our swords, instead of taking the way of the kingdom, what's going to win this world is a church that will take up their towels once again they'll take up their towels and they will begin to lovingly serve. And you might say, well, these people don't deserve. Did any of the disciples that Jesus washed, did they deserve that? Absolutely not. Did you deserve it? No. So we always judge who's in and who's out by what we think of who's deserving. When Jesus said simply this, everybody's going to have a wake-up call in life. Our job is to serve and love them through it. And that is what's going to win people. That's what's going to make a difference. It's not the gospel of the sword. It's the gospel of the towel. Amen? Amen. They not only thought he was going to establish it through his sword, the other thing they believed was that Jesus was going to give them a throne to sit on. Again, they thought, man, we've been with you for three years. We, church, can I tell you, any time that we start to think that God owes us something, we're on dangerous ground. You say, "What? Well, when did they do it? They were, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. They're arguing about who was going to be able to be right there beside him. It's noble to be close to Jesus. That's a noble pursuit. But can I tell you, the closer that I've gotten to him over the years, the more that I die and he lives, and the more I find myself in positions of just simply serving and loving other people. The problem with being a person or a church of the sword in your relationships is that people are going to feel manipulated around you, and that's never love. They're dominated around you, or you live your life paranoid all the time thinking somebody's after your position. That is the world we're living in today, especially politically. Everybody's just trying to hang on. Do you understand that Jesus was never trying to hang on to power? He wanted to give everything away and empower his church with the Holy Spirit. And for us to be an example to everybody. And Jesus looked at those disciples and he said, you need to put away the sword and you need to get up off of that throne and you need to simply live a life that will serve me. Church, can I sum this all up really super easy and then I'm going to share a testimony and then I'm going to we're going to take up an offering. I don't think, I mean, how long has it been? I know it's been at least two or three years since we've taken up an offering, but this is going to be very specific and it's going to be very directed at being servants and helping people across the world that need our help right now. Amen. We have a real opportunity to make a real difference in the lives of some people, and I really want us to jump in and do that. How many of you would say my life is a little complex? Can you raise your hand? And just every once in a while, you're trying to simplify what Jesus was doing in this moment before he was going to go to the cross. He knew his time was short with them and being able to be there physically with them. Thank God for the Holy Spirit because he'll never leave us and never forsake us. He is Jesus to us. He will bring these things to our memories. He will show us in any given moment when you're faced with a towel or you're faced with a sword. But he was trying to simplify what they would carry with them. And the most important quality of a man or woman of God is not, again, talent or preaching ability or an ability with money or anything like that. He was simplifying it, and I appreciate this about the Lord and about the Word of God that we can study and learn and glean from. He made it very simple in this moment of what the kingdom is all about. Here it is. Number one, that we would know God, and number two, that we would make him known. And the way, church, that we make him known is becoming people who will step up when others around us need and be the servant of all. Amen? That's what we live for, to make Christ known in your little world and to make him known on a grand scale in the world that we're living in today. I'm going to share a testimony with you. And then we're going to give you an invitation today to be able to monetarily give into something that I think is very near and dear to God's heart right now in this moment. As everybody in here knows, the country of Ukraine has come under attack from a tyrant. Let's just put it like it is. The devil is still alive, and he's still doing what the devil does, which is kill, steal, and destroy. He's the puppet master behind principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. He's behind this stuff, y'all. But the church is rising up in this hour. Stronger. Praying. I want to invite you tomorrow night, if you're able to come, at 6.30. We're going to pray specifically for this situation in the Ukraine. This is very dangerous. I know you guys know that if you follow this stuff. When the when the leader of Russia puts all of his forces on the highest nuclear alert that exists this morning, this isn't fun and games. These are things that the church needs to turn the tide of. Listen, there was, there was a man by the name of Reese Howes during World War II. If you ever see any books on him or able to read anything on him, it's amazing. He led a group of intercessors the whole entire war. They would sometimes pray 15, 16, 17 hours a day in intercession. For God to turn the tide of what was going on. And there are stories of literally fighter planes with nobody in them. People had died, but they were still continuing. God's on the throne, y'all. Yeah. And we can make a difference through prayer. In church, we can make a difference through being able to support our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Ukrainian church is a spirit filled, yes. on fire, awesome, godly, and the reason I know this is because my very good friend and brother in the Lord was my roommate for three years. When he graduated school, he felt very much called to Eastern Europe, specifically to Ukraine and Moldova, and in the last 20 years, he has focused on those areas. He's lived there. He can speak the language. He goes back and forth, but he'll take teams over, and his main ministry over all these years... um, has been uh, elderly people. In that country, when you're not able to work, you just kind of get kicked to the side. So his main ministry is firewood for widows. I've given over the years, you know, it's like 50 bucks to support them all winter long. I've done that through quite a few years of just sending him money. Well, when all this went down, he's already there. He's been in the Ukraine, but he works in Moldova, so he's moved over to Moldova. And he didn't pick up an ak 47 Would have been fine if he did, I suppose. I know Greg really well, though. He's not much of a fighter. He's a lover. He picked up a towel. He's over there in harm's way. And so on Saturday, when I saw him begin to post about being in Moldova, Moldova's a country where everybody's beginning, Romania, Moldova, those Eastern European countries, those people are beginning to flow over the border. And what it is, is it's moms with young kids whose husbands have stayed, I mean, I'm going to tear up talking about it, whose husbands have stayed back to fight this thing. And that day he said, we found a camp, it's a Christian camp that he's worked at and he's ministered at and done. They have 50 beds. And that night he was going to get heaters because the place wasn't heated. He was going to get heaters and some toiletries. Literally people were coming across the border there with just the clothes on their back. So they, he showed himself shopping so I immediately said, Christian Center Church is going to be a part of this. They're going to be a part of this. So I immediately got online, and I made a donation on behalf of the church. Every dime we had in our checking account. No, I'm kidding. I'm just the elders back there are like, come on, brother. But I will say this. There are ten moms with little kids that are now safe tonight because of you. Now, here's the challenge I have for this morning, because I knew God was going to have me in this direction. I knew he wanted me to preach this. I know he did, about if we would ignore the sword and take up the towel, we will see the world change. And how can we be a part of that being so far away? He got on Facebook late last night. I wasn't planning on even still being up, but I was waiting for my son to come home. How many parents know when they come home, you go to bed? Yeah, because if I go to bed, I'm still going to be laying there praying anyway, so I might as well stay up. He got online and he said, I need a church or churches. I need help because there is a pastor, his wife, and their four boys that range in age anywhere from probably 13 on down to young, five or six, four boys. The cool thing about these four boys is Greg has ministered in their church in Odessa. Odessa's on the coast. Odessa was one of the first uh, cities that fell to Russian occupation. And they weren't expecting it that quick. They were going to stay in Odessa. And when they looked up and saw the tanks coming down the street that their churches on, the husband said, I'm getting you and the boys out of here. He put them in a car and drove them 90 miles to the border of Moldova. Who's waiting on the other side? Greg Montella, my roommate from Bible school. He contacted Greg. He got him through the border. Greg took them in. The video last night was the, 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 the pastor's wife and the two of the boys in the back seat along with Greg's interpreter and another car behind him with the rest of the family. And he said, they left Ukraine with just the clothes on their back. His plan is, and this is what he's asking for, the boys lead the worship in the church. (laughs) They left everything behind. So he said, how cool would it be to take them tomorrow morning, I know there's a time difference, he's taking them tomorrow morning to buy them clothes, to buy them food, to be able to take them and get their passports redone so that they can continue on to a family in Germany that wants to host them while this is going. The husband went back to pastor his church. He turned around at the board. Can you imagine? Can you imagine kissing your four boys goodbye and your wife and sending them into the unknown? Church, this is why we exist. This is why we are here. And thank God for the Greg Montella's. Thank God for the men and women of God all over this world that have, that have decided to take up a towel and a bowl. In church, oftentimes we look around the world and we say, what difference can we make? It's like the old, the old story of the person walking down the beach and there's all these starfish that are on the shore. I know many of you have heard it. And the person comes and kind of is upset at the person just taking them one at a time and throwing them back. You can't make a difference. There's thousands of these. And he replied back as he threw another one in. He said, it made a difference for that one. made a difference for that one. Church, don't underestimate the power of the bride of Christ. In prayer and in doing something as simple as adopting a pastor's wife and those four boys. His plan is to, to raise enough money. And I pray just we raise it right now today. You guys know me. If you're visiting here again the way I handle offerings is I've got nothing wrong, nothing against passing a plate. There's nothing wrong with it. But I have the idea that your giving is between you and God. I don't get a printout of who gives and who doesn't because I don't ever want to treat somebody differently based on how much money they have in their wallet. Actually, I won't say that. I I won't say that. So much of the church is based on People being treated different because of the house they live in, car that they drive. That's not Christian Center Church. We love you whether you have a dollar in your account or have one million in your account because the millionaire is just as lost as the person with a dollar in their account. His plan is, Steve, is to buy a keyboard and a couple instruments. (laughs) And while they're there at this Christian camp for these next few weeks until they get their visas in order, they're going to have church with all the single mom, the moms who brought their kids in. And these people are, listen, these people are coming from Ukraine with their husbands back fighting this. They're safe. They're warm. They're fed. Greg's taking care of them with the money we've already sent. There's 50 moms and 50 kids that will be able to stay there. And I want this church to make a difference. I want this church to be able to, to say that when things went wrong, we picked up a towel. Church, there's time to pick up a sword. This ain't it. This is a time for us to pick up a towel. This is a time for us to show what the body of Christ can and will do. Amen? Stand with me this morning. We're going to pray for Ukraine. We're going to pray for Greg. We're going to pray for this pastor and the pastor's wife and the four boys. And I encourage you, um, he's posting on Facebook about every four or five hours. His name's Greg, G-R-E-G-G. if you find my Facebook page, I'm not trying to get Facebook followers this morning either. I'm not trying to get you. I want you to just watch and and see this precious family and then be able to literally see, and maybe we'll be able to pull those off the Internet and show the church maybe uh, next, next Sunday the difference that you were able to make today in your giving. Amen. Can we pray for Greg? Can we pray for the ministry? Can we pray for these precious people? Can we pray that God just puts his hand down and quells this? God's a God of peace, y'all. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. And God wants to come and move in that situation. Dear Heavenly Father, we have never been more, I have never been more sincere than right now in this moment by asking you to place your mighty hand upon our brothers and sisters in this country of Ukraine. Jesus, we hear your words and we see your example that on the night that you were betrayed, on the night that you were going to, to go and be beaten and to be scourged and to stand trial. You picked up a towel, Lord, and you picked up a bowl. And you served. And you gave us the example that the greatest among us will be the servant of all. God, today we declare and we say in your presence it's not about thrones and it's not about stuff. It's about us serving our brothers and sisters and this world around us, God, today. So, Father, we pray for Ukraine. We pray that, God, peace would be replaced of the place of war and destruction and harm and hurt. We pray that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, Lord. Father, we pray. We're humbled. I'm, Lord, I'm humbled as I see my Ukrainian brothers and sisters standing firm and standing strong. And continuing to pray and to worship and to move forward with the kingdom, even in the face of what they're facing, God, today. We pray safety. We pray protection. God, we pray for Greg right now by name. God, may you put a hedge of protection around him. May you surround him with your holy warring angels and ministering spirits. We pray for this pastor in Odessa. We pray for his wife and his four precious boys, God, who are men of God, who are worshipers, who are psalmists, God. We pray that even in the midst of the difficulty, you would shine your light and you would raise them up and use them mightily, Father, that many would come into the kingdom during this time of upheaval and darkness that is sweeping across this world, Lord. Father, we pray that this offering we're getting ready to take would be used for your glory, would be used for... your. Your purposes and would be used to bring many, many people into the kingdom of God today, Father, in Jesus mighty name, if you would go ahead and sit back down guys if in the back, if you want to give into this, I encourage you to they 're just going to quickly come they're going to pass the the little bags up and down the the aisle there, and uh, I just believe we can make a difference in this situation amen we can we can be a part of of helping and as you give this, I think it's important to say. Um, Not only being a friend and a roommate, I have given to Greg's ministry before personally because he's doing such an incredible work there in that area of of the world. And as you give this, understand something. 100% of what you give today goes straight to the people who need it. He does not take any salary, and that's a whole other story. Greg's going to come and share sometime. I've already invited him. And next time he's down in this area, he's going to come, and he's a phenomenal preacher and phenomenal teacher of the Word of God. And he's a young guy. I think he's about eight or nine years younger than I am. Yes. There is an online way to give. Yep. If you desire to do that, thank you, Tammy. If you desire to do that, again, Facebook is a great way to just look at my post. I'll make them public so you don't have to friend me to see it. But he puts the ability in there. It's called Heroes International. You can look him up personally. His ministry name is Heroes International, and you can go in there and just give directly. The great thing about where he's at and how he's operating is literally when you give, usually within just a few hours, he's out buying the stuff for the people who need it. It's amazing. This is its the world we live in today. It's very quick. The money we gave the other day, he literally went out hours later and bought heaters and bought food, and toiletries, and towels. These people came with nothing. They got a warm shower, and a good bed, and now they're leading. Yesterday morning, he uh, was in a, a, a place there in Moldova that has a large youth group, and they were meeting that morning to pray and to worship, and he was there to present to them, why don't you guys come with us and join with us in this ministry, and let's go minister to these refugees that are flooding in. What a great opportunity. Amen. You guys know, and I've said this before. My desire is to put good soil in front of you, because we understand the principle of sowing and reaping. Is when you sow into good soil, you're going to reap. Listen, don't look at the financial money side. God, God owns the cattle on a thousand hill. God is in control, and he he doesn't need our money. I think we need to break the bonds of selfishness sometimes and to give into something sacrificially and to be able to make a difference in the world. Amen? Amen. Stand with me again, and let me bless you today as we go. Just bow your heads right there where you are. This won't even be my normal, just Lord bless you and keep you. I really want to pray for you today. Lord God, we just say, help us be servants. Help us not to look at the the sword where something we can get even by way of force with our words, Lord, with our, with our mouths, with saying things that manipulate, saying things that, 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 that cause us to be elevated. But for, Father, we want a humble and contrite spirit first and foremost before you and ultimately God to our fellow image bearers that are around us every single day. Lord, let us see your example today. And Father, I bless the people of God at CCC, God. I bless them, Father, with health. As their pastor, I bless them with financial blessings. I bless them as they're at home and bless them at work and bless them in their families. Father, we pray today that your hedge of protection would be around each person and each child and each family, God, that you would hem them in from the left and the right and the front and the back. That, Lord God, you would Truly lead us and guide us in the way of life in the narrow path, Father, in the days ahead. Father, I pray today that your church would rise up in this time and this hour, and we would truly be the light and the salt that you've called us to be today, Father. Bless the people of Christian Center Church, God. We love you, we glorify you, and we praise you. In Jesus' holy and mighty name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed, amen. And I'll be giving a report on the difference that you guys made next service. If you can come tomorrow night, come tomorrow night. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday or Wednesday. we got Bible studies, too, on Wednesday.